Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Munoz, CEO of the Experience Communications Agency, D-Flash. Each week, I bring on another interesting business leader who's doing something game-changing, world-dominating, world or just extremely interesting and unique. This week, I'm excited to have Stephen P. Williams, prolific author of the new book, Blockchain, The Next Everything. It's a fascinating conversation. Have an awesome listen. So, hey, Stephen, great to have you here. Hey, thanks, Laura. I re- I'm really excited to be here. Fantastic. So, easy, simple stuff. Whenever we start this podcast, I always ask the same question, and it's a simple one. What was your first job? So, my first job really informed all my other jobs after. I was a uh, dishwasher at a Waffle House in Lawrence, Kansas, and I was... Um, I was underage, so I lied about my age. I think I was 12 or 13. Awesome. And the uh, head dishwasher there was somehow discovered that I'd lied about my age. And he did two things. One, he demonstrated his knowledge of uh, kung fu or taekwondo or some martial art. He was about 15 and really intimidated me. At 15? At 15, yeah. And and I was like 12 or 13, and he um, took took that and then then threatened me and said if I didn't do all his dishes that he would report me for lying about my age. So that was a big lesson in, in the work world in many ways. I see how that can totally <laughs> get you to where you are today as a prolific author. How many <laughs> books have you written now? I've written, uh, I've ghostwritten about 10 books and I've written f- uh, five books of my own. So 15 books. Yeah. So you've sat down and written hundreds and hundreds of pages 15 mm. times. Oh, yeah. Well, each book you write hundreds and hundreds of pages 15 times because you have to go over it and change it. And, yeah. and so how did you get there? Like, What was the thing that says, you know what, I'm in Kansas working in the Waffle House to now I've written 15 books. How does that happen? Well, first of all, that job in the restaurant with the intimidating coworker. I think really taught me that I wanted to be an independent worker. <laughs> and so uh, I went from there. And as a young kid, I, um, I always worked since, I was, since, that, since that first job. But I did a lot of entrepreneurial things. I made um, tie-dye T-shirts in the, in the colors of the American flag and sold those. I wrote a book of poetry, got it published, sold those. I got the local uh, post office to give me a contract to wash the uh, postal trucks. I was just always hustling something. And so um, I really haven't had that many official jobs in my life. And I, uh, I knew that I wanted to be a writer, and I kind of saw that as a way to work for myself. And it's, it's worked out pretty well. That's amazing. Mm. And so you've, like, never had, like, a nine-to-five. I've had a couple. I had uh, a job... With When I got out of graduate school, I went to Stanford to study communications journalism. When I got out of there, I, um, I got a master's degree and then went to Tokyo and worked for the uh, Pacific Stars and Stripes newspaper, the military newspaper. I was a civilian employee. So that was one job, and that was a great job, really, really fascinating. And um, then I had another job as an editor of a, uh, or a writer for a health publisher called Rodale where I wrote books advising people how to live healthy lives, take vitamins, do all this. And at the time, I was a really heavy drinker, drug user, and smoker. So, so I was trifecta. A trifecta, <laughs> and I would go into work every morning hungover and write these books about 
you know, how to be healthy. <laughs> and I, Makes perfect sense. Yeah, and I would take breaks on the back porch and smoke my camel cigarettes. So that was kind of a contradiction. And I worked there for two, two years and... Um, it was actually great because I quit drinking and quit smoking while I was there. Because you were reading what you were writing. <laughs> You're like, this yeah. isn't good. I should probably stop. Yeah, and from there I, um, I talked them into giving me um, a contract to work on my own in New York and write stuff for them. So I just moved to New York and left the corporate environment. I think I had one, one other corporate job as an editor, of uh, a book editor, for a year and a half. But that's pretty much it. I've done... Different interesting projects. A couple of years ago, I did a magazine for Shinola, put that together uh, with uh, the supermodel Carolyn Murphy. We worked on that and put together this beautiful thing. But that was a contract job for nine months. And um, I worked for Colors Magazine, which was put out by Benetton. Just a few different things like that, but mostly really interesting side projects. But other than that, I've been just hustling on my own the whole time. And how does one even do that? Because you're, you're older than 12. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you, are you, how are you able to surprise, like what's been the thing that you said, okay, cool, I knew I was great at writing. Right. And I'm just going to figure out how to make this keep working wherever I go. Yeah. What was, what was, the, uh, what was your kind of path in doing that? Well, my path, I think, is to, is the, the reason I've been able to do that is because I have a really great work ethic. I work really hard, and I, I, love, I love writing. I love researching, and I love learning about new things. Like, I don't have a specialty. I, I write about anything that's interesting. You're genuinely curious. Yeah, I'm, curi- I'm really curious. And also I have um, a tremendous faith uh, that things are going to be okay. And I, that's a spiritual faith and a, um, just a belief system I have. And so I, I don't... Especially the older I get, I'm 61 now, the older I get, um, the less worried I am about the future. You know? I just, like, roll with it. Wow. Because everything's worked out so far, <laughs> more or less. I mean, more or less, I you're had standing. my ups and downs, yeah. but, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're standing upright, and yeah. uh, you're not huddled over, and, you, you know, it's yeah. in New York, it's a afternoon in New York City, and you seem re- reasonably normal, yeah. so we're good. <laughs> um, I, would, I think that's a good way to look at it. So... You're now, it's 2019, uh-huh. you've done all these really interesting projects with, with amazing people over the last 20-some-odd years. Right. What made you decide to go look and find out what's happening with blockchain? So, yeah, blockchain took me by surprise, for sure. I think it's taken most of the world by surprise, but um, I went back and got an MBA in sustainability a couple of years ago. Because for, you just could. Just because I wanted to, <laughs> yeah, I was... Um, I was thinking about, I wanted to, to go back to school and I wanted to study painting, but I realized I had never made a painting in my life, so I could never get into a painting program. And the other thing I wanted to do was get an MBA. And, and I don't come from a business family or anything, had any reason. I just always kind of been really interested in that. And I was working on a business um, uh, having to do with sustainability and realized I didn't know enough about business. So I was in the subway. I saw a poster that said um, MBA in sustainability. And so it tied in my two interests, business and sustainability and climate change. And I applied. It was through Bard College. And I went. And it was a program designed to let you work full-time and go to school. So I did that for two years. And it was really one of the greatest experiences of my life. During that time... I was reading, I think, in the, some publication, I came across the word uh, blockchain. This was in about two, early 2017, maybe late 2016. 
And the word just kind of like stuck in my mind. I started researching it and I went down a rabbit hole. I just became completely consumed by it, which happens to, to a lot of people when they start getting into it. And so you get fall down this rabbit hole. Yeah. And I think there's so many misconceptions between blockchain, cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. What does this mean for people who are unbanked? And what does this mean for different communities of color? There's right. a million and one, a myriad of ways that people are hearing about blockchain. What's sort of like the five cent tour that you can kind of give folks? Well, I really definitely got interested in blockchain rather than cryptocurrency. Although now I see that the two work together and have a have a you know a much bigger effect. I think I was kind of snobby about cryptocurrency at first, uh, which was a mistake because I should have bought a lot of uh, a lot of Bitcoin at that time. Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> I uh, I got an email from a friend of mine who told all of us in 2013 <laughs> to buy five dollars worth of Bitcoin. And I remember looking at that email going, what are you talking about? And then the day that Bitcoin hit 10000 for one. And I do believe... It hit almost 20000 yeah. But that was the one where I literally was, I was in a car. Right. And I just was like, I should just jump out of this car right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> why? Yeah, you would have had hundreds of bitcoins for that five dollars. Oh my sure. gosh! It yeah. was, and and it's funny because he put the thing on Facebook. He's like, "I hope you all listen to me." And I go, "Shut it." That's true. But you know, you know, you win some, you lose some. Eh. Yeah. But I mean, what is I guess sort of starting at the, very, at the very beginning for the people who have no idea what is blockchain? Well, blockchain is basically uh, it's a ledger. It's like the ledgers that. Maybe your grandparents used those green books that had columns and you would enter, you know, I bought this tractor for $800 and sold this wheat for, you know, $1,200. Those are my grandparents were farmers, so that's the way I think about it. But um, It's a great way of putting it. It's just an accounting, it's, a, it's like an accounting ledger, um, but it's much more than that also. It's, uh, so it's, it's software, it's a digital system. It doesn't exist in any physical form. And it keeps track of um, exchanges of value, basically, is the way to look at it. So that value can be monetary, it can be intellectual property, it can be almost anything. Um, The information is collected into groups called blocks, and those blocks are attached to each other cryptographically in a chain. So that once the information is on the chain, it can't be altered. So it's like a permanent record. So you got, if it's... Um, wheat for $1,200, if it's rice for $1,300, if it's butter for $1,500, that's the ledger. And it, yeah. and it can't move. Right. Got it. Stays the same. So the, the value of that is that for, for it was created to support Bitcoin, right? So the value of it, um, the person who invented it is a mysterious figure named Takashi uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, right? right. Sometimes for some reason I couldn't remember his name, and um, nobody knows if he, if that's a single person or a group of people, um, man, woman, man, right. woman, anything. Right. Yeah, the, he, the person has disappeared. Um, but anyway, the the um, blockchain was invented to support Bitcoin because with Bitcoin you can't you don't have coins that you can stick in your pocket. You can't prove that you have it. There has to be a way of keeping track of each coin and where it is and who spent it and who owns it so that it doesn't get double spent. 
right? So the same person doesn't buy two things with one digital coin. And that, that's why it was created. And so now that, you know, so there was a big boom and bust with cryptocurrencies. Right. And so that is still a bit of a mess in terms of like it went to 20,000, then it's like less than a hundred now, I guess. Uh, no, um, Bitcoin's uh, over 3,000 3,500 right now and, or a little bit more. But if you think about it, I mean, it seems like a huge bust because it went in a year, it went from 20,000, nearly 20,000 to 3,000. But in the last, uh, you know, since t- in 2013, when you were offered it, it was probably cents. I don't, yeah. I don't know the exact figure, but probably less than a penny. Yeah. So if you look at at that increase in value to 3,500 today in six years, that's pretty amazing, right? So I don't see it as a as a, a failure at all. I see it as a success. Um, it's a failure if you want to get wanted to get rich quick and you didn't cash out. But in terms of being uh, something of value that's gone up. Is great. As far as its utility, it's not very useful in terms for buying things. Not very many businesses accept Bitcoin. There's not a lot you can do with it. It's more of a store of value right now. And so, since cryptocurrencies are you know, still pretty volatile, yeah. what are the uses that more people are using using blockchain for now? So, blockchain has a lot of uses in, um, as you brought up one, which is banking for the unbanked, right? Right now, there are um, hundreds of millions of people, especially in, in um, sub-Saharan Africa and India and other places, that just can't access the banking system. Either they don't have identification or they don't have enough uh, money to open a bank account or, you know, all kinds of reasons. But most of them have cell phones. So people have cr- smartphones even. So people are creating systems where you're able to transfer money using blockchain and participate in the financial system for the first time. So uh, I recently wrote a story about um, Indonesian farmers who uh, are unable to get loans at good interest from banks because they don't have the documentation of what their harvests are, what the land, they don't have necessarily clear titles to their land, all kinds of things. And there's a company, um, uh, Hara Token, that is uh, giving them the credentials and the proof of identity that lets them borrow. So instead of going to loan sharks and paying high interest rates, they're able to prove themselves to to banks and get money. So it's really democratizing. Yeah, in a lot of ways, that's the hope. Um, You know, blockchain is still, uh, you know, I have to say it it has tremendous potential, but it's still in its infancy. So a lot of these programs that people talk about um, are more hopeful than real right at this moment. But I think that you really have to judge it as an early stage technology. So it's new. It's still early stage. What would you say if someone wants? So if someone picks up your book, yeah. what are they going to learn? So if they pick up my book, they're going to they're going to learn about the culture and the potential of blockchain. They are not going to learn how to code a blockchain or even how to really create a blockchain in their business. What they're going to learn is how to think about the technology and to imagine how it might might work within their life or in their business. So it's, it's also in a way that <laughs> Yeah, kind of, except it's um yes, except I don't I don't think that dummies would want to read about blockchain <laughs> to tell you the truth, but but it is like a it's a I wrote it when I was I taught myself and I spent years uh, reading about it and everything I read was very very complex and really took was a struggle sometimes to learn cuz 
it really thinking about it involves economics, it involves history, it involves technology, it involves all kinds of things. And so I tried to to create a book that was interesting to read, that had good stories in it, that was had a lot of narrative and a lot of characters in it. So this is not a book um, this is very different from all other books I've seen about blockchain. Like this is actually fun to read. So um, making blockchain fun. Yeah. And so, even people who don't have no interest in technology seem to kind of get into this book. So you've made blockchain interesting and fun for people. What sort of the kind of two or three kind of big takeaways that come out of the book? That come out of the book? Yeah. Uh, one, one is that, um, that blockchain and cryptocurrency amplify each other. So that these, um, these projects that, that are created with blockchain um, can use cryptocurrency and tokens and uh, tokens which are very similar to cryptocurrency but might have different values, might not be money actually, can use all these things to incentivize networks. So I think that the big thing that comes out of this is that the idea behind blockchain that it's a distributed network, that it's spread out over all the computers that participate in it, and that the, um, the governing authority is not centralized, is a powerful tool that I think is going to lead us into, the, into big changes in the future. And that's kind of where, where I'm thinking now is a lot about distributed networks and what that means for us and you know, what that means for communicating with your employees, for the customers communicating directly with employees, for the idea that there might not even be employees, that everyone is an entrepreneur everyone involved in the system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I, I find that really interesting. I had, I had the, an idea for, um, which, which I've kind of pivoted on, but I had an idea for a company that would uh, have people uh, remake used clothing and dead stock that's in warehouses and um, do that in order to avoid the waste that's like prevalent in the fashion industry. So it's a way of reducing carbon output. So have a system where people all around the country or all around the world are part of this one manufacturing system, but they're all working on their own in different different locations. Hmm. And I was thinking of a distributed, perhaps blockchain network that would support that. You know, there are all kinds of ways of, of looking at it. Awesome, fascinating. Yeah. And you know, I think a lot of folks are still like, "Oh my gosh, this blockchain thing is like going to change the world." But right. it's it's really about distributed distributed networks, and you know, potentially helping people who are unbanked is a, is a huge aspect to this. That's gigantic. Yeah. What do you think is probably the biggest source of confusion about blockchain? Yeah. Well, <laughs> just the basic question of what is it? You know? <laughs> um, I think people get confused by the the idea that it's a, it's a system, right? And it's, it's based in software. And I think people think that it's, that it's something tangible or something that you go to the store and you buy a blockchain. Yeah, they can't get past the fact that you can't touch it. Right, right. And so I think, I think that's, that's hard for people. Um, I think the, the, you know, I was saying the connection between cryptocurrency and blockchain for me is a powerful tool. But also I think the, uh, there's a big misconception that Cryptocurrency, a lot of people see it as a corrupt thing because of all the shady characters that have been involved with it. Right. Um, all the corrupt uh, initial coin offerings that have gone along. So people, I think, associate, when, lots of times when I say blockchain, they go, 
oh, that's Bitcoin, right? Or that's crypto. And then they kind of roll their eyes and look at me like... You're a shyster. Like a shyster, <laughs> yeah, like I'm a nut. And, um, and so I think that's, you know, I think that's the biggest problem right now. I actually see the drop in value of cryptocurrency. And just as an aside, I barely own any cryptocurrency. I own some Ether and I own some Litecoin, and they're all... They've all tanked. Same. You know? <laughs> but um, I, I haven't bought any Bitcoin. But, um, the uh, you know, I think the drop in value of the cryptocurrencies now is actually good because it all the people who are in it, in the space, in the distributed system space, just to get rich, are kind of moving on to the next big thing, whatever that is. Whatever I have toys. no idea what that is. <laughs> and it's leaving a lot of teams that are, you know, very serious about what they're doing, you know, and, and um, I think that in the next few years, that's really going to really gonna show. Because there's going to be so much in the economy of it all. Because right. if you've got loads and loads of cryptocurrencies, how you file your taxes with that? What kind of software? So there's, there's yeah. a million ways that there's still people to start new businesses mm-hmm. and you know build new things that can help be for security. So there's, a lot, there's still a lot to, to be unfolded from it. I went to my accountant just two days ago to do my taxes, and she, she's a Manhattan accountant, do, deals with all kinds of businesses. She, she didn't know what blockchain was. So I exactly. was shocked, yeah. Yeah, I think, I, and I think the learning curve is still, it's still, I think we're still down here, and that yeah. it's going to take a while for it to sort of become part of the vernacular, and having books like yours, where it just, it makes it easy for people to understand. Because I think a lot of times with technology, it becomes so over everyone's head that they don't want to pay attention. Right. And when you can get people like yourself who can sort of write it in like really simple and easy language, the more you can see that there's a lot of value in that. And so you don't, you don't miss the opportunity because it, it seems to be so deeply technology focused. Right. That's what I was really hoping with this book is, is, is to do that. And I think in the future, you know, blockchain companies using blockchain won't even tell you they're using blockchain. It'll just be a foundational technology, but as a foundational technology, it allows for all kinds of innovation, you know, above it. And, like, and, it's, and it's still free, and it's just so fascinating. And there's still so many different universes to play in. It's oh yeah, yeah I'm, for sure. Like, I, I'm I'm just I'm utterly fascinated by by it all. So you've been in business for a, quite a long time. Yeah. What would you say has been your biggest challenge when you when you've started something, whether it's you know diving into learning mm. about blockchain? You know, writing your very first book versus writing your 15th book. And how have you gotten past it? Well, I think the biggest challenge for me is is the business side and the promotion side and trying to separate those two. They're two very different functions, writing a book, researching a book, and then trying to make the book become a reality. So it's like like with any business, uh, you can have a great idea. Like I've heard so many great ideas in my lifetime about businesses, all kinds of things, but the people who actually can make them turn into a product, is they're rare and few and far between. So I find that the toughest, the toughest part. And um, it's like a, a big thing that I learned early on. I also write fiction, which never gets published, but I keep writing. I've written, <laughs> I've written five novels, unpublished novels, and countless short stories. Some of the stories have been published. But um, so... I used to, when I first started out, you know, getting rejected was just painful. You know, you get a rejection slip from the New Yorker or from an agent or whatever. And um, one one huge thing in my life that I think has helped me be, you know, somewhat successful 
is learning to see rejection as just part of part of day-to-day life. It's like you have to take the risk of being rejected in order to be accepted, right? There's just no no two ways around there it. Is and, that. Um, but a lot of people, I think, I, I and I understand it. It's very hard to be rejected, right? You have to, um, I don't know. You, you you have to not put your. This is where my my ideas about faith come in. Like you have to put your belief in yourself and in in your intuition and what you want to do. And it might not be right for the time, and not but might not be right for the commercial market that you're in. But it doesn't mean that you're wrong, right? It just means you were re- you were rejected by the forces that at that, that time. Be, yeah, and it might not be you might be wrong today, right? But you might not be wrong a year from now. Well, this book here is a good example because um, so a year ago, I mean, a lot a lot is changing in the acceptance of blockchain and perception. A year ago, I wrote a proposal for a book um, similar to this, right? And my agent took it out. And uh, a senior person at Random House um, rejected the proposal, saying, I've never heard of this. I don't think it's big enough to write a book about. It's just like, you know, what's the big deal with this? And it was rejected by about eight different people, that proposal. So I said, um, you know, to hell with that. I know that this is what I want to write about, and I know this is uh, a big deal. So I just went ahead and wrote the book without any contract or anything like that. Wow. So I spent about four or five months, wrote the book, gave it to an agent, a different agent, just because um, the first one had already exhausted her her contacts. So I got a different agent, and um, the time had changed. People were more into the subject, and the book was completely done, and it was done just the way I wanted it to be. It was, you know, unusual in that regard. And it sold to the first editor at a great publisher who, uh, you know, preempted the other publishers. So... Wow. If I had gone along with the first rejections, I would not be sitting here talking to you about this book. And um, Yeah, so I think, you know, rejection, sometimes rejection, you should say, yeah, that idea is terrible. That, that idea sucks. <laughs> right. Go away. Never come back again. But other times, you know, you just got to persevere. And I'm, I'm definitely, uh, I've always, since I was a little kid, I've always persevered. I'm, I'm stubborn as hell. Same. Yeah. <laughs> So question for you. So you've talked about a little bit about your, about your faith. Can you talk about more about that? Because I feel like that, you know, it's weird. I feel like faith and spirituality has now right. become the thing du jour uh. as opposed to, you know, being a deeply held belief. Right. And so for you, how, how do you sort of view your faith? Well, so I have a deeply held belief, you know, I would say. And I was, I was raised, uh, you know, in uh, the Episcopal Church, um, my Grandparents, my grand—I was actually raised by. Um, there were very few men when I grew up. Like all my grandfathers uh, were dead. Um, there was my father and and one or two uncles. That was it. And um, so I was mostly raised by women. And aside from my mother, they all had really deep faith. My mother didn't have any at all. But my <laughs> my grandmothers were all different Christian religions, but like really, you know deeply religious and, and moral and all of that. So I, I grew up with that, and I rejected it, of course. As, and, of course, <laughs> as one does. And, I'm um, a recovering Catholic myself. Right. <laughs> but I, um, I always had a, a belief in, like, a higher power and a God, and um, that, that never wavered all through, you know, since I was a kid. I remember having an experience where I was, uh, I don't know, I must have been five or six years old, and I was lying on my back looking up at this big elm tree in front of my house, 
And I just remember like feeling like I was transported up into this tree uh, where these leaves were, and I felt this like sense of life and beauty and this like just intense experience of the universe there, right? And it's never left me that that impression. And so as I went through life, I you know had encounters with different people. Um, I had some great experiences in South America when I lived there, and um, about 15 years ago, 18 years ago, someone introduced me to a form of meditation in the Sufi tradition, right? So I started uh, meditating with a teacher, and that's really what has informed my faith now. I'm no longer with that teacher, but the, um, the practice, you know, continues. Wow. And what's, what's your meditation routine? Uh, the meditation is, uh, um, when I first was doing it for the first 10 years, was twice a day for about 45 minutes each. So wow. it's pretty intense. And then and now it's much uh, less. I you know I have wake up and have prayers and recitations in the morning and and meditate you know usually once a day. Yeah. Wow. So. Yeah. It's and no, it's it's, ch- it's changed for me because I you yeah. know grew up strictly Catholic household. Just went to Catholic school my entire life. Right. Uh, and then as I went, once I set foot on NYU's campus, I was like, ah, oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> there's more to the world. <laughs> yeah, there's so much. Like, wow, there's different yeah. religions. Who knew? Right. Um, and for, and so like I say, I'm a recovering Catholic. And so mm. I found that like in the last year or so, like I used to kind of classify meditation and all this sort of spiritual stuff as, as a kind of a hokey BS. But I always had this sort of deep abiding faith because I always right. felt like there was something Something kind of helping and guiding a long way. Like, there's too many weird things that have happened to me where, like, if someone did, like, push me out of the way mm-hmm. or, or put me in the place I needed to be, then I probably wouldn't be there. Right. But then last year I had this experience where I went to the Tony Robbins, like, Unleash the Power oh, Within. Yeah, right. uh, and it was so not the thing I was going to be ever be a part of. Mm-hmm. I, my friend dragged me because she wanted to go. And... It was one of those things where it, it sort of kind of opened my eyes to meditation in a way that I thought I could actually deal with. Right, right. And I think that's the thing that when, it comes back to, like, when, whether you're in business, whether you're trying to learn something new, and, like, how you open yourself up to something new and interesting. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm doing my 14 minutes and 28 seconds every morning where that's I'm fantastic. priming. Yeah. And it's definitely given me a lot more clarity. Right. And it's also sort of, again, like, opened my consciousness to So, like, now I'm kind of into this kind of crystal stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, like, we which one sort of feels like the one that you want to like have with you at all times. But I think it's that level of like creativity and openness to different things and learning new things. I probably wouldn't have put myself even anywhere near. I -hmm. now have. So I think there is something really unique, especially when you're among the creative class, especially where we, you know, we have all this noise around us. And so if you can have like that kind of moment to sort of like center yourself yeah, I find it great. Yeah, it's good. And if you can connect with a, you know, a greater being or a higher sense of the universe, then all, all the better. Although I, I have found it's nothing you can, um, I never tell anyone to meditate or, or try, to, try to proselytize at all, because I think it's something you have to come to yourself. Yeah, you, I think it's. I think that's the thing that you know. I think people are far more open to it. I've read mm. more books in the last year where more men, men over fifty, right. who are now into meditation, as opposed to like you, usually you would be hearing about women read, and reading right. women doing it. And so it's like when you start seeing across every single sector of business, for example, yeah. or creativity, now now you're like, oh, I'm getting it now. 
If you see men over 50 changing, that's pretty profound. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I have to tell you. It's pretty, it's pretty profound. I mean, I read uh, Ray Dalio's Principles uh-huh. and um, heard about and, and you know, learned about him and his trans- transcendental meditation. And I was uh-huh. like, well, if the biggest hedge fund manager in the world does it, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, there's probably something interesting there. Yeah. Um, so, so last question. So you've written this book. Mm-hmm. Now that you've written it, it's going to be out coming out on March 26th, right. available where all books are sold. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you hope comes out of this book, and what's going to be next for you? So uh, I have a plan for this book and this subtitle, The Next Everything. I'm working with someone on developing uh, um, a newsletter that's called The Next Everything, which awesome. will cover different types of technology and cultural things that are happening, because I'm really always really interested in that. And hopefully we'll get some consulting work out of that and help guide people through all these technologies and changes that are happening. So that's one, in terms of business, that's a, that's a big thing that I'm really interested in. Um, the next book I'm doing is a book on light. So I have this uh, have wanted to do this book for many, many years, and I've taken a lot of notes over the years. But I see light as something that we all enjoy uh, that keeps us going, that, that we, but that we don't really think about much. Like we have light in this room, we have light in our hearts, we get light from the sun. Uh, light helps us sleep, you know, with melatonin, and we have um, just so many experiences of light. And there are scientific things, there are health things. So I want to write a book that really covers what light is and makes people aware of the power of it in their lives. And so to do a book, though, you need to have a um, what I call a coat hanger. You have to have a story to hang all the information on. Like a book about light, I can't just do a chapter, chapter after chapter about this and that. So I found a uh, lighting designer who has been around since the punk rock days and now designs uh, skyscrapers in Malaysia. You know, she's, oh. she's just a fascinating person. So I'm going to tell her story, and through that, talk about all the, all the vagaries and things about light. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> like, so I think it'll be interesting. That's Stephen, you're amazing. <laughs> um, thank you so much. Yeah, this I was mean, fun. I, I mean, really this is it. such a wonderful conversation, and I wish I knew it would be. Um, I can't wait to read your book. Good. And, I'm for, yeah, I'm and, um, and so, as I said, Steve's, Stephen's book comes out March 26th, available where every book you can ever find, so Amazon and all the like. Um, that will all be in the show notes. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks. It was really fun. I really enjoyed this. Awesome.